the, the woods get uh, transformed into a, a theater of uh, the ancient ones. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 17 of Cryptique. If you want to help out the show that brings you amazing stories every week for free, all you have to do is subscribe and tell a friend. We'd really appreciate it. I'm joined, as always, by a man I'm proud to call my friend and the only man I know who claims to be hung like a Sasquatch. Ryan, what's up? Not... Oh my god. Are the stories true? The stories are absolutely true. How did you know? Did you read the stall walls <laughs> at the at the high school bathroom where I went? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> you gotta give me warning on these intros, man. <laughs> no, that's the best way. I can neither confirm nor deny that I saw your story on a bathroom stall. So. <laughs> Alright. So tonight we're going to focus on the big guy. And I know we haven't done a Bigfoot episode yet, and now we're getting kind of into the weeds, but I'm all in on Bigfoot, and I love tonight's guest's books. Ryan, tell us about your Bigfoot possibility theory. Where do you stand? I I don't have a theory, but I do enjoy Bigfoot stories. I definitely think that the footage that we've seen, it's something, it's probably not, I mean, it's definitely not a bear most of them mm-hmm. and I, I guess I can't speak for all of them uh, and it's unlikely to be a guy you know in a suit or like Homer Simpson covered in mud and sticks or whatever happened in that episode <laughs> um, but there are so many possibilities there are ideas that Bigfoot is just another creature that lives alongside us there are ideas that he's something that's interdimensional or that we're seeing through a time slip that he has the ability to camouflage himself. I say he, because, I don't know, I always think of a singular Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. But that they are capable of uh, what we would consider like supernatural feats, other than just being huge and strong and things like that. That they have, they have sort of abilities that help them, psychic powers or the ability to influence us. So I definitely think there's something, I'm just not sure exactly what it is. Fair enough. Well, you guys know where I stand, I think. So tonight, Ryan and I are going to ask that you suspend any disbelief you may have in Sasquatch and follow us on a journey into the mind of Bigfoot and how their genetic makeup gives them unseen advantages on staying hidden. In order to gain your black belt in conspiracies, you have to have an open mind and the ability to discuss anything without losing your shit as Sam Tripoli would say. So with that, well, the first book uh, that I read was Our Life with Bigfoot. And I literally finished it. I know it's not a, you know, a a novel, but I finished in two days. And Sasquatch and autism, I, I found hard to put down too, simply just because I'm around people with autism every day. So it's... Yeah, you're the perfect audience for that book. Absolutely. All right. Uh, you want to just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, and where listeners can find you. Well, I've always been fascinated by this topic ever since I saw the Patterson film at about age 11, like most most people. Um, yeah, and it captured my imagination. I could tell right away it wasn't a, a man in a suit. Agreed. Um, and 
all the subsequent analyses by especially M.K. Davis have only reinforced that impression. Absolutely. So growing up, I, I just always wondered if there was a way that I could, um, you know, push farther in my knowing about this species. And I always thought you had to be just insanely lucky and have one cross the road in front of you in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. I traveled in 1996. I went by myself to British Columbia and rented a van and drove up to this little town called Bella Coola, where in one of John Green's books, it said that they had a lot of sightings. So it's just like a total shot in the dark. And I went up there and fascinatingly, even there, there was a split between those who believed that the creature was real and those who didn't. And this whole culture of ridicule and stigma and all that stuff is amazing to find that out. And I interviewed a lot of people who'd seen seen uh, Sasquatch individuals, and it was cool. But it wasn't until 2005 that I found out that you could actually go on expeditions sure. uh, through the BFRO to, to places with a long history of sightings. So I signed up for, for my first uh, expedition, and I was absolutely hooked. It grabbed me. I got the bug, and um, I went on 10 expeditions in the next year and a half. Wow. And learned learned more from the veteran researchers than I did from experiences with Sasquatch on those expeditions because those were few and far between. But the, it was just great to sit around the campfire and hear tales. Absolutely. And um, nonfiction, nonfiction tales about experiences. And I started to learn about habituation sites. And I, I began to realize that that was really the way, you know, the... Um, the superior avenue for learning about the species, not just, you know, stabbing in the dark by going to places that have had sightings and walking out randomly in the woods and making noise, which can work, but mostly doesn't. Darn, that's kind of my plan. <laughs> yeah, well, it can work, you know. People people look down their noses sometimes at wood knocking, but I've gotten lots of responses to wood knocking and it's been wonderful, so that can work too. Um, so I started to get in touch with uh, habituators uh, at at sites where the two species are a little bit have gradually grown less um, fearful and alienated from each other, and their regular regular contacts usually almost never in daytime. And there's gift giving exchanges, and there's nearby um, sightings in the moonlight of Sasquatch crossing the, lo- the yard or peeking from behind a tree with its huge shoulders on both sides <laughs> and its little coconut head. <laughs> Some of the big males have giant shoulders and um, comparatively small heads, even though that head is probably bigger than your, my head and your head. But um, so I, I, just, uh, I, I just was like a sponge and I soaked up all, all sorts of um, stories from these these folks who've been having long-term interactions, sometimes generationally, you know. And um, six of them agreed to contribute their own testimonials to to that book, Our Life with Sasquatch. And I was very grateful to be able to put them in. And if they didn't want their real name used, I didn't, of course, use it. And I didn't say exactly sure. where they lived, just what state they lived in it. Um, so that was, I was very glad. You know, all of the books that I've 
um, put together and put out there into the world have been from sort of wishing that a book like that existed, but none did. And so I thought, well, no one's doing it. I might as well do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes you got to tackle the problems yourself. Yeah. You want the job done? Do it yourself. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a thumbnail sketch. I mean, I'm a lifelong writer and, and so my, my, um, main job has been writing and teaching, teaching writing in graduate school and uh, freelance editing of people's books. So I've just um, been lucky enough to be able to translate that skill into um, my Sasquatch research. Uh, and it's been a good, a good marriage of my passion for learning about the Sasquatch species and my ability to articulate that search, sure. that quest in these books. Sure. So I've got to ask, and I know you, where you stand on this one, but the listeners don't know. So tell the listeners where you stand on the debate of great ape, relic hominid, alien, or any of the other, you know, Bigfoot theories out there. Well, I don't think that it's the Nephilim from the Bible because there's no evidence of that, but many people do, um, especially hardcore Christians do. I don't think that it's, well, the whole UFO alien thing is such an obscure and fascinating and rich kind of topic that no one can say, you know, what's true or not. But it's, it's the kind of thing, like, it's hard enough to, to um, reach um, solid evidence or um, to kind of follow the trail of an actual flesh and blood creature, you know, like Sasquatch, who's the most elusive, elusive uh, animal outside of microscopic <laughs> animals on the, on the face of the earth. So then you add in the absolute unpredictability of UFOs and, and um, you just, you're piling one profound mystery on top of another. So I've kind of just so far bracketed that, that out and um, looked at Sasquatch as a, as a fellow member of the Homo genus, and we're Homo sapien, they'd be Homo something else because they're very, very much mm -hmm. like us. And I so far have not seen a credible debunking of Mel McKetchum's findings. Neither have especially I. Especially when it comes to people think that she's been debunked, but that's just because she faced a huge firestorm of, of uh, opposition. Mm -hmm. Um, because just of the conservatism of the, of the scientific community and of people in general, and because she has given hints of her Christian interpretation of this, so that turns some people off. But her, um, she's, she, when she did her, um, her study that came out in 2012, 10 years ago now, believe it or not, um, she was a a very highly regarded uh, forensic uh, DNA expert, and which mostly refers to um, mitochondrial DNA, mm -hmm. which are the comparatively much, much, much simpler loops of DNA that occur in the uh, mitochondria inside our cells, not in the nucleus where the you know three billion base pairs are. Mm -hmm. The mitochondria have more like fifteen hundred base pairs, and they tell the story of who one's mother is, what species, and um, various characteristics of the maternal line going back and back and back. Mm -hmm. So she was able to see that on, on the, she got all these um, 
legitimate um, biological samples from, from people around North America and was able to find consistently that these samples um, pointed to a Homo sapien, our species of, of um, mother, and an unrecognizable species of, of father. And she was able to pinpoint, to roughly ballpark the date of the um, cross... Um, Breeding? The hybridization. <laughs> the, yeah, the crossbreeding. That sounds like a... It sounds bad. You know, I know. An intentional breeding program. <laughs> but of the, uh, of the um, hybridization to something like 15,000 years ago. So mm-hmm. the idea is that there, there were these um, females of our species and males of another primate species that made whoopee. <laughs> and the Sasquatch line emerged out, out of that. And you don't know whether, to what extent it was consensual sure. or whether the, ma- the males, you know, dominated our ancestor females. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's not the case that the males must have been eight or ten feet tall like Sasquatch is today. The males of Sasquatch are today mm-hmm. because they could have been smaller because it's there's um, a very well-known phenomenon in hybridization called hybrid vigor where the offspring is more <clears throat> more fit and often larger and stronger than either of the parents for example the liger is a offspring of the lion and a tiger mm-hmm. and he's much bigger than the parents like a third again bigger than the parents yeah um so we can we don't have to imagine the this male progenitor back in the day as being as large as current Sasquatch are, um, but they may have been. We just can't know. We haven't found that fossil yet. And we also know through science that there were, at this point, I mean, I, I guess an untold number of human-like species that interbred with each other. And uh, I believe that Caucasians have up to a like a 4% of the DNA of a Neanderthal. So we know that interbreeding took place. Yeah, I think it averages it averages like um, 2.9%, I think. You might be right. I can't remember exactly. It's down there in the low um, single numbers like that. And um, I might have a some little parts more. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you sound <laughs> like Some parts of the world, people have, you know, 9 or 10%, like in Southeast Asia, oh, some wow. of those countries, for some reason, um, they have more. And then Denisovans, they went down south too um, at one point because people in uh, Australia and in, um, I think it's Papua New Guinea, some of those places down there, they have a lot more Denisovan than uh, mm-hmm. other. But as you say, these, uh, these cousins these in the Homo genus have been discovered pretty regularly uh, that we never knew about even 20 years ago. Um, so, I mean, the dragon, you hear about the dragon man? I have not. Oh, man, this is great. You got to look it up. The dragon man. Dragon man is a um, fairly new discovery, and it was, it's a fascinating backstory. It's this skull. Very, instead of its, I mean, besides its lower jaw, which is missing, it's very intact, and it's a spectacular um, a specimen, and so... After after our conversation, you got to run and, and look it up. And listeners, I urge you to look it up if you don't know about it already. But 
During a time in the early 1900s when China had invaded Japan, no, rather, sorry, 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 reverse that. Japan had invaded China. This um, farmer found this skull in his field. And because the Japanese were all around and, and he knew it was a valuable thing that he had found, um, he could just, he could tell that it was old and it was much larger than um, regular human skulls. So rather than risk it being confiscated by the Japanese army, he hid it at the bottom of a well and didn't tell anybody, including his family, for 80 years. It's like a movie. It really is like a movie script, but it's absolutely true. You'll, you'll find if you, if you look it up. Well, that sounds like a great episode. <laughs> I know. And then right on his deathbed, just like, you know, very cinematically on his deathbed, he told his family, you should look at the bottom of this well because I put this, I wrapped this skull up and I put it down there. And sure enough, after he died, they went down and found it and presented it. Luckily, they, they were um, large hearted about it and, and donated it to a museum. Mm-hmm. And it's been... It's been uh, analyzed, and it, it, people don't know exactly which classification to put it in. It might be a Denisovan skull, because we don't have any large um, remains of Denisovans. We only have two teeth and a pinky bone of Denisovan that we know of that has tested. Uh, its its uh, genome has tested um, positive for, for a new species that's been called the Denisovans. Um, so this skull is huge, is Sasquatch sized. So it may be the, the, uh, a, an example, a member of the, of the species that fathered the Sasquatch line, but there's so much that we don't know still. It's so interesting. I hope that one day, you know, long, long way off in the distance when my parents are on their deathbed, they're going to be like, listen, we hid this really awesome thing for you. <laughs> Not going to tell you about it. Wait till we die. That that would just be um, insane. But yeah, well, I don't know. They would have to been really secretive because there were no Japanese soldiers around. I, I doubt it when they when you were young, when they were young. But maybe somebody else was threatening, or maybe they were just wanted to bequeath you a valuable uh, artifact in the future. But anyway. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. Everything, all, all of it is pretty interesting. I've been at it for 16 and a half years, pretty hard, ever since my first expedition um, in upstate New York. And I've been all around the U.S., you know, in um, Florida and Northern California and Arizona and North Carolina, uh, et cetera, Texas a bunch of times. And... Um, Ironically enough, it's in my own backyard that most of my best experiences have happened. So I had, I guess I had to, it's kind of like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. I had to go far and wide before I realized that, you know, what I most, what I most wanted to focus on and embrace was right in my backyard. So let me ask you this. You've, so you've been out into the field and probably an uncountable amount of times at this point, right? Have you ever been truly like afraid for your life while you were out there? Because these things are so enormous. I mean, if you do any research into it, you understand that this Sasquatch, you know, whatever you want to call it, 
could overpower you, overtake you easily w without a second thought, and there would be nothing you could do about it. So it, it's, you know, I'm a little intimidated to get out there, but have you been afraid while you were out there? Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Hell is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie Howl on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. Yeah, I usually go by myself, as you may know, and I, I get um, I get nervous a lot, but my fascination level just outweighs that, and um, so, you know, I managed to tamp it down, and um, I just, you know, I'm it's, it's nowhere I'd rather be, really. It's what I'm supposed to be doing with, with this part of my life, and so last year and the year before, I would go out and sleep all night in um, areas where I had recorded wood knocks and vocalizations, mm -hmm. and I would get trees trees pushed down and knocks and vocals, and but I didn't get any any. Uh, I was going. I, I bought these expensive night vision cameras, and I didn't get any any um, footage of the perpetrators of the tree pushes and the wood knocks mm. um, until. One night, um, September 20th, I was going to one of my sites to sleep, and on the way in, on the trail, I heard stamping on the ground. Well, first I heard wood knocks when I was about 50 feet away, two light wood knocks. And then when I was right next to this apple tree, I heard stamping on the ground. And luckily I was filming my my walk into the area, which I normally didn't do, but it was a lovely full moon and there was mist uh, out on the fields. And so it looked really atmospheric and spooky. And so I was filming my walk in when this happened. And so then I turned and had an interaction with this creature that I am convinced is a Sasquatch. Some people think it was a porcupine, but well, we, um, and the thing is we see them expertly mimic other animals all that's the time. my point and they exactly. mimic humans too yeah yeah they mimic humans vocally so why wouldn't mm -hmm. they uh yeah, yeah i mean that that's kind of what i think that they're that they just learn to climb trees or some of them looking from a distance they'd look just like a porcupine so it would be a perfect camouflage but i was right i was six feet or seven feet away and you can see its long left leg pulling up so that it's crouching at the bottom of this apple tree and then it pull it it reaches up and grabs 
hold of a low branch and pulls itself up without using its back legs. And porcupines have hind legs. And this, this one just, they have short little stubby hind legs that they climb with. And this, this one has um, long primate legs. For some reason, a certain cross-section of people are, are um, unable or unwilling to see, see this. So it's been frustrating. And also, um, there were, on the audio, there were no porcupine sounds whatsoever. There were only these sounds, these popping sounds, these little popping sounds that I had recorded in conjunction with woodknocks and other Sasquatch sounds before. And it goes like, like little popping. Mm-hmm. And porcupines don't do that. Sasquatch do do that. And there's other sequences of the video. This is, by the way, at the end of my uh, documentary called How to See a Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. And there are other uh, little clips in that video where it reaches out a long arm with a lengthy forearm and fingers and elbow. Porcupines don't have that. They have little eight-inch arms that don't, and they don't eat by stretching out and grabbing something and bringing it back to their mouth. They eat like mice do, you know, hunched over with both both little hands, little arms in front of them. Mm-hmm. And then there's a part where it's, it, its head is visible um, behind some leaves for just four seconds. <laughs> and you can see it kind of moving back and forth to get a better view of me. And it's moving independently. Porcupine heads are down inside their, their shoulders and they're, they mm-hmm. don't stand up out on top of the shoulders like like this one does, and, and there are many reasons why it's not a porcupine. But anyway, well, you could you could capture a Bigfoot, and people could come and see it, and they still wouldn't believe it. So I know they'd say it's, it, they'd say it's it's a like one mutant human or something, right? And there's so much hate in the Bigfoot community that everybody wants you to believe that what they have is real, and everyone else's is, is fake. So they're going to attack anybody that has good legitimate footage because they want to be the first or the only and it's sad well it's high stakes and so the worst of human nature kind of kicks into gear when that when the stakes are high because nobody you know nobody has gotten to the mountaintop on this whole pursuit right so so there's a well that's where we're headed (laughs) there you go that's the spirit all right so this, so this year, instead of sleeping out, uh, overnight in in the for, various forests around here, I've I've been going to that apple tree ever since the beginning of um, June, end of May, beginning of June, and just sitting there for an hour or two, about twenty five feet away, hoping for a uh, return, a repeat performance. Um, and during June, almost every time I went, I got these um, telltale whistles that I've. Um, in the documentary, I, I clearly linked with Sasquatch activity, and I got wood knocks in response. Mm-hmm. To, I would, I'll, I'll go like, "Hello, I'm here." Um, you know, hope you're here. Hope you don't mind. I, I'm here, and I'll go like, um, and um, and I've gotten I've gotten um, those popping responses, and and I've gotten wood knocks, and I've gotten the telltale whistles that at 11.30 at night are no songbird. Um, right. I mean, and that, well, there are some birds who sing at night, but that's very different from these. And um, 
so but then in july i've been another 10 or 11 times and uh i haven't gotten any so they're not around right now they were around in june but i haven't when i've heard the response whistles and, and knocks i haven't gone running over there i've just kept sitting there i'm trying to you know i'm foster and develop a, a trusting relationship because it's good that it's kind of good and ironically that people everybody didn't say oh my god that's sasquatch footage and like figure out where it was and come crash mm -hmm. the party because yeah. the skepticism has kept it um sort of a protected enclave so i can i can go there and and they know that even though they um one of them got caught on film it hasn't caused a disaster for them so they might be willing to be more relaxed in their um interactions and whatnot not yeah not not so tightly controlled with me and where you're going now you're not like parachuting into the canadian wilderness somewhere no that's one of my that's yeah that's one of my favorite realizations that i and other researchers have been coming to over the last few years is that they're not um limited or um sequestered out in the wilderness. I mean, a lot of them are, but a lot of them are right next to us. And mm -hmm. um, they, their territory kind of honeycombs our own territory. And um, you can go, this thing I drive, it's a 10 minute drive and then a six minute walk from the parking lot to this apple tree. Mm -hmm. And it's a very well-traveled in the day. It's a very well-traveled area for, uh, for hikers and picnickers and, and such. But uh, at night, so far, nobody has been camping. You're allowed to go at night. It's not, there's no gate closed or anything. It's open 24 seven. So, mm -hmm. but nobody has been camping up there when I've been, when I've gone to sit by the apple tree. So it's just a, it's a nice kind of, it's very convenient. Sometimes that's the thing. Sometimes Sasquatch research is convenient. People don't want to believe <laughs> that. Um, yeah. So yeah, you don't have to go, you don't have to be a Todd standing and you know and go like deep 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 yeah and you don't have to agree with jeff meldrum who says there are five thousand in the whole whole of north america and they're very yeah. solitary and rare they're not solitary they, they exist in groups there's probably five thousand in vermont alone and uh it's just not at all like people think um i could ramble on or i could wait i could l let you get a word in edgewise well, people don't want to hear me, but I do I do have another big question before we jump into the parallels with autism. Do you want a Bigfoot to be captured or there to be completely undeniable evidence for everybody? Or do you kind of want them to just be able to have their peaceful existence without us ruining everything? Well, that's, of course, one of the primary questions, and everybody who's honest and sincere and a good person is going to be somewhat ambivalent or torn about this. Or, I mean, I shouldn't say a lot of honest people just want them left alone, so clearly I, I misspoke just then. <laughs> but people who are um, champions of the march of knowledge within science and anthropology and zoology want this question to be resolved uh, and yet I don't want hunters out there. I think that's sickening and barbaric. So the best case scenario would be finding a dead body, which is very unlikely. Mm -hmm. 
or some accident to happen, like, you know, how, how they are often reported to sort of play chicken with people on the road. They'll, they'll run across the road and just barely miss being hit. Mm-hmm. Well, if they initiate an, a, a, um, an event like that and misjudge the car, the semi-truck, and they get hit, then it won't really be our fault. And then we'll have uh, a a body without having to, quote-unquote, harvest a body through immoral uh, and bloodthirsty means. Um, So I think that would be the best outcome, either find a a body or at least a, a, a skull or something that would be indisputable by any but the most hardened cynics. I don't say skeptics because skeptics true skeptics are questioning all the time but want the truth mm. but right. cynics want to want to tear tear the uh, the other side down um so that's i guess that's my stance on it i'm deeply profoundly anti-kill um but i'm trying to get really good footage so that's not going to be as persuasive as a as a body uh but right. It'll be good. It'll be. I want to see footage. So there hasn't been any for a long time now. I mean, my goodness. Think of the most recent really good footage was the Mississippi skunk ape footage, and that was 2016. Yeah, already a long time ago. And and just a little before that was um, was a timber giant Bigfoot's big red footage. That at first people were like, "Oh, come on, that's that's a bear." But, of course, it wasn't a bear because at the end it stands up and walks away. So there just hasn't been um, any breathtaking footage. Those two are breathtaking. But since then, I can't, I can't remember. Maybe I'm forgetting something, but it's been, a very, it's been quite a dry period. Um, so I, I want to see footage, so I'm trying to get footage so I can look at, <laughs> look at that footage. Sure. It's like, the, sure. why do I write books? They, they need to exist and... and really gripping, really jaw-dropping footage needs to exist, at least if, you're, if you have curiosity for that form of, of, um, of learning about the species. You know, some people are curious about it but want to learn just by having a non-technological interaction in the forest, a relationship in the forest, and that's, that's great. But I, I, I'm trying to, trying to document that's my bias for documentation. So there is a theory out there that obviously if one of these was found, we found a dead body or whatever, that would call into question endangered species, uh, where you can harvest timber, all kinds of stuff like that. Where do you stand on the theory that some people have that the government knows all about these and they're just not saying anything about it because of the timber industry. Well, you've got your finger on all the important, on the pulse of the important questions. Um, So good for you. Hmm. Uh, Yeah. I think that it would be, it would make the spotted owl look like a child's play. Many people won't remember the spotted owl, the young people out there. Uh, (laughs) But in the, what was it? The eighties or something? It was 90s. It was all this uh, huge controversy in the Northwest where this little owl species was endangered and it, um, lawsuits shut down the timber industry, as you say. Mm-hmm. And it was this gigantic firestorm of uh, a legal battle. Um, and 
Yeah, it's not. It's the timber industry would be um, absolutely uh, choked off, strang- strangled by by uh, lawsuits to um, protect the habitat of the Sasquatch. It w- it's going to be very, and it could be worldwide too. I know it's going to be very confusing because we're never going to be able to declare it an endangered species because you can't get a count. It could be thriving. I think their their population might be growing faster than ours. You know, in the United States, our population has has been like half hmm. a percent growth over the last 10 per, per year. Over the last 10 years, we're really at a plateau in terms of our population. I think the Sasquatch are thriving. There's no reason they wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of room. They know how to uh, they know how to capitalize on the habitat they have and not to cross our paths in a way that would threaten their existence. And so I think people see young ones all the time. I think the one that I filmed and encountered was was a young one. Judging by the thickness of the tree, which was eight inches, it, mm-hmm. it's the, the the figure that climbed the tree was like twice as big as the biggest uh, porcupine, and it probably stood between five and six feet. Um, so it was probably a teenager or something like that. You know, you can't know for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But so it's going to be it's going to be like an absolutely convulsing event to try to. Uh, integrate or assimilate the existence of this fellow human species you know once once they're discovered if we have a body we'll nail down how they fit in the um in the homo family tree how they relate to denisovans and neanderthals and our species and whether um whether melba ketchum was correct in her analysis and her sequencing and then um then the uh, the battles will ensue, and they'll take decades to, to iron out. Um, you know, it's not going to be able to be determined mm-hmm. as a as a um, endangered species. But think too about the lawsuits in other other industries: oil, oil rigs. You know, uh, religion. Well, that's I mean that's <laughs> huge too. It's a gigantic slice <laughs> of the pie. It's religion. Um, you know, and. Uh, Think about the lawsuits by people whose loved ones have gone missing in national parks. Mm-hmm. And although they can't, they, they can't prove that it was Sasquatch, the very fact of the, of the dereliction of duty of authorities who it will, it will come to be shown have known about this species and yet don't warn people of the potential threat and then people go, go missing, uh, you know, that's going to be um, a fertile field for legal mm-hmm. action. Because yeah. we weren't we weren't properly informed, so that we could we could make do our due diligence um, and assess the risk, make an informed decision. Exactly before wandering out into the forest. At this place that um, I hope to have an encounter, there's signs up everywhere about bear. So you're right. Yeah, they, they cover right. their cover their tail and say, "Hey, there's bear. Watch out for bear. Don't." leave your food out, you know, pull it up in a tree, uh, make noise as you're walking, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, I didn't even think about the possibility of people being, you know, attacked or abducted in parks or whatever. But that that is very interesting. Well, National Parks is, is uh, one place, but then all, all other places, because the local, um, you know, the, the local um, fish and mm-hmm. game, etc., all, all those um, you know, state and county and, and town um, branches of, of the fish and game um, 
probably have some awareness of this, and it'll it'll take years to adjudicate just the level of uh, detail that this awareness uh, got to, um, and so how much negligence there was. And, you know, mm-hmm. it'll make the January 6th hearings look like nothing. <laughs> Many of our listeners probably already think that that is nothing, but we won't get into that, will we? <laughs> Not today. Not today. Maybe next time. So, as I understand it, you devised the theory of the relationship that Sasquatch has with the wide array of autism and uh, developmental disabilities we see in humans. Uh, can you just tell us how like that clicked for you or, or like how like did you just have an aha moment or how'd that work? Yeah, it was kind of an aha moment assisted by watching a documentary about um, autism and specifically autistic savants. So it's not it's not in the realm of disability for me. It's in the realm of um, it's in the realm of the genius that some autistic people have. So how did you come to this conclusion? So this boy had this amazing ability to uh, to to um, he uh, to remember photographically, so he could draw things that he had only seen once. And he also was amazing at hiding, and he wouldn't interact with people directly. He he would only interact indirectly through objects. Um, and he was a great st- strategic thinker. He was a really good chess player and stuff. And the more attributes that came forward in this documentary, the more I said, that's like Sasquatch, that's like Sasquatch. Hmm. Um, And so I started to think, well, autism runs Hmm. in families. It's highly heritable. Um, Even the genius variety, the the savant variety can run in families. And so I thought, well, maybe it can run in a whole species too. And this would explain you know, how, how Sasquatch is able to do the most mind-bending thing that it does, which is just to ev- avoid discovery. How can this eight, nine-foot-tall creature in our increasingly developed continent not be known about by most people and by, you know, accepted, verified by science? It just goes, it goes against, it's so counterintuitive that there must be I thought there must be some sort of a, a unifying reason. Um, and it can't be that they conscious. I, so then I started this train, this like domino effect of trying to work it out in my mind. And I, I thought it can't be that they just learn to avoid us because if, because when you learn something, you have to consciously choose whether to apply that learning in each case. Um, and if you're free, if you have free will to choose whether or not to accept what you've been taught, 
then in a certain percentage of cases, individuals would use that free will to rebel against that teaching. But their behavior is so uniform, they, they, they never make a fatal mistake. They'll be caught out sometimes and taken by surprise, and they'll have a standoff with a, a hiker or a fisherman or something or a hunter, but then they'll, they'll um, run away or they'll casually walk away like Patty does in that, in that film. Everybody's life is shaken in that uh, in that encounter, but but nobody, you know, uh, nothing changes in the in the um, general status quo of our species relationships mm-hmm. to each other. And um, so so then it seemed to me that there must be some hardwired set of um, of traits and instinctive qualities that allow this to this behavior this evasion um to perpetuate itself without um having to rely on conscious free choice and so this the, the cluster of traits that is the syndrome of autistic savant seems to fit the bill better than better than anything i've come across and Interestingly, it's not just that they avoid us, but they're the only creature I know of who both avoids us like the plague and then seeks out um, contact with us. It's this two-sided coin. And autistic people in general have this two-sided coin the same way. They, they, um, uh, they shun direct contact, often not making eye contact and having a difficult time, at least as you say, there's a wide variety of manifestations of autism, and this is not meant to be generalizing. I hope people understand that it's it's just the, uh, the sort of common denominator, at least, of, sure. of yeah. profound autism is that people have a difficult time direct being direct in their relationships, so they're indirect. Mm-hmm. People often are reached by the use of... of um, peck cards, these big cards that have symbols on them uh, that um, can facilitate communication. So similarly with, with Sasquatch interaction, people such as Snow White Bigfoot, Angie, in, uh, in Ohio, people can communicate with their local Sasquatch group through objects and indirect contact such as, you know, like they'll hit the side of the house in the middle of the night and run away. Mm-hmm. They just won't sit down on the porch and have a beer with you. It's always got to be oblique. And mm-hmm. This is very similar similar to, to autism. And then the savant aspect is just the genius that Sasquatch has to uh, possess in order to accomplish what it accomplishes hour after hour and century after century. It's just they must be able to memorize their territory inch by inch so that if you put up a game cam, even if it's we think cleverly camouflaged it stands out like if you took a dump in the middle of somebody's living room <laughs> um that's that's a matt moneymaker analogy i just have to use it even though sure. it's kind of gross <laughs> um, so um but you know and and um also the processing speed that they have people just talk about how they make decisions so much faster than it's immediate yeah I know that I, I see that a lot with the the people that I work with. It, it, you can barely get the question out before they have the answer for you. 
Oh, I should have used some of your. I should have used asked for your experiences for this book. Maybe we can add to it. Tell me more. Oh well, I mean, I see the parallels that you're talking about for sure. I mean, there's, it, it's it's undeniable if you believe in Bigfoot, right? And there's probably a lot of our people. Ryan's kind of a a possibility guy. He's definitely not you know, saying that, no, there's no chance, but I think he's, are you, Ryan, are you going to be one of the people that needs a body or would you settle for like some real good quality photographic or videographic evidence? I, I don't think that I'm skeptical to the existence of Sasquatch. I'm more interested in, I guess, kind of what it is. Is it is it misidentification? Is it, I've been, you know, holding my tongue through this because a lot of what I've read or listened to, you know, talks about the possibilities that it is just another species that exists in parallel with us that we don't have contact with because they have ways of living that, you know, just don't bring them in contact with us, that they habitually stay away from us, that they, you know, try not to interact, but... I've also read theories that they are actually some type of ancestor, you know, some other homo species that existed in the past. And what we're experiencing are, you know, time slips or that there are some kind of hybrid put here by the greys. Like there are all kinds of really odd theories, including, you know, that the Sasquatch has the ability to camouflage itself or even turn invisible. So a body would be helpful if it could be obtained in an, in an ethical <laughs> sort of way. Um, I definitely think there's something out there. There's no way that we have this really convincing footage, which I agree, you know, is definitely not a bear or whatever else people have claimed that, that some of this footage is. Um, but I don't and know. If, if Patty's real, then, then the species is real. Cause she's not going to be just by herself and right. A single individual instead of a population. Or, yeah. yeah, she's got to come from somewhere. But yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I'd be interested to know more about what it is. And when you ask the question of, you know, do you want there to be definitive proof? I don't know that I would. Because I feel like um, historically, mm-hmm. a, a more advanced society, assuming that we are more advanced than Sasquatch, because who knows, maybe we're not. They're They're living in a way that seems to be very sustainable they seem to be doing pretty well so maybe they're better off than we are but it seems like when we encounter a less advanced civilization that doesn't go well for that civilization so if you get people out there who know for sure that there are sasquatch in certain areas i don't know that that would be the best thing for them well there have already been uh, people on the hunt for them for a long long time and they haven't had any luck without with the exception of um a handful of people, like maybe that guy up in uh, the Sierras, what's his name? Justin, Justin Smeha, if you believe his story. Um, and a handful of others. But basically, th- I think they're not analogous for me with um, tribes that have been wiped out or Native Americans, because all, all those folks were pretty well embedded in one place. And Sasquatch have evolved as master, like ninja, ninjas times a thousand. So I, 
I think they're probably going to be okay. I think initially there will be um, a surge and an urge to go out by certain poison people, poisonous minded, poisonous hearted, black hearted people to go out and get their trophy. But I think the first person who gets their mm-hmm. trophy and successfully hauls the body in before the media is going to be rich and famous and, and, and reviled and hated in, in many circles. But I hope that the second person who does will go straight to jail because in between there will be laws against it passed. And so there'll be no point in having a trophy if you can't show it off. Right. And plus you're likely to be, you're likely if you go out there and you shoot one, there is others around. They hardly ever by themselves and you'll probably be set upon and torn into 50 pieces. So it's not just a simple matter of like it was with, the Europeans and the Native Americans of just rounding them up. It's not going to be like that at all. Well, they can go to places that we can't get mm. to. That's right. I mean, they'll just simply retreat to places we can't We can't go. We may be able to take our bodies there, but it's not like you're going to send a bunch of people out to hunt down a tribe of what may be humans or human-like beings or human ancestors. And they'll be up, they'll be up the side of the mountain before... Yeah, they they are so much, so much superior to us physically. They'll be up the halfway up the mountain before you can get ten feet. And plus, I I have this whole book called Mind Speak, and I I I think that um, human to human telepathy is a thing that's been proven in laboratories for more than a century now. Sasquatch are more adept at it than we are. Agreed. And I think they can read intention. If you go in there, I think I go in there with a camera, which is bad enough. But if you go in there with a freaking rifle or AK-47, they're going to they're gonna keep miles between you and them. I just think they have this, you know, that's part of their defense arsenal that they've evolved is this ability, this, this mental or spiritual ability. Um, and so I just think they're... They're sitting pretty in a way. If they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't send like their teenage boys out there to uh, stare down tractor trailers as some sort of rite of passage. They'd be they'd be safer, and they'd also be a lot safer if they'd stop banging on trees. <laughs> you know, if they would just. That's the thing. I mean, that's one of my little proofs of the uh, or demonstrations of the parallel with autism is autistic people often will percuss. And even down to like flapping their arms and rocking back and forth, the rhythm and dr- drumming and snapping their fingers and such is, is um, one of the ways that they soothe themselves through stimming. And Sasquatch will knock on trees. Mm-hmm. And if it weren't, if they didn't have to, quote unquote, have to, for some sort of deep seated um, psychological or central nervous system reason, then it would make much more sense not to because we automatically know that it's a Sasquatch or else some human, you know, a, a, a guy out there at three in the morning, which is very unlikely. So they just give themselves away through this wood knocking. They should, they, they'd be smarter if they didn't have to, to use the sounds, normal sounds of nature, bird calls and other animal sounds to communicate in a way that we wouldn't be able to interpret Knocking on trees is so blatant mm-hmm. that um, you know it's just funny. It's funny that they that they do that. It really it goes against their their well deserved reputation for invisibility and stealth. It's a 
bashing and <laughs> banging on trees. Ah, here we're right over here. Maybe it thr- maybe it thrills them. Have Have you heard rock clacking? Yeah, I've heard that mostly mostly uh, wood on wood, but I've heard some high pitched uh, percussion that seems like rock clacking. They do that too. I think it probably thrills them to say we're right we're 150 feet away from you, and we're letting you know. But we also know there's no way you can get to us. Right. It's like the, it's a classic so close but so far kind of thing. <laughs> uh, one of the things that you talked about in the book was the sense of time as far as uh, I think the way that you kind of described it was that, you know, one can sit there for five hours straight without moving and you know, for some, for a human, you would get very antsy. Uh, you'd need to get up and stretch and stuff like that. But something I've noticed with the folks that I work with is sometimes someone with autism can sit and do something for hours and, and the same thing over and over and over for hours. Some can only do something for 10 seconds, but specifically I'm talking about where you may spot what you think or what actually is a Bigfoot and they just sit there. They don't move for long periods of time. And you think, oh, well, it must be a stump. And then after two hours, it gets up and walks away. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you you seem to be um, on the same page with my friend, Michael, who I quote from in the book a lot. He Mm -hmm. used to work at a a, a group home. He was in Alaska. A lot of his insights... Yeah, he was. Okay. That's right. That's right. Um, a lot of his insights about the behavior of his of his clients, his, the people he worked with, um, just like you, map right onto Sasquatch behavior. So talking to him was one of the, the early ways that I sort of solidified my thinking on this, on this little hypothesis or theory. Mm-hmm. I know that theory and hypothesis mean different things, but I'm using theory loosely. It's really a hypothesis. Fair enough. Now, let's talk a little bit about the natural selection, I guess, of what would need to take place in this society of autism or an autism-related condition, I guess is probably the best term, Mm -hmm. uh, that it would get passed down and passed down and passed down. Are there some along the way that maybe didn't get this gene and they were unable to reproduce for some reason, or maybe they, you know, strayed from the group and got lost or something like that. Go into a little bit of detail on that. Well, maybe, you know, how um, the spectrum of the spectrum, you know, the spectrum of autistic um, Mm -hmm. manifestations goes from profoundly disabled, where you really can't accomplish anything without help, to geniuses who are very functional. And I, I bet you that if if I'm if I'm right with this hunch about the some version of autism in the Sasquatch species, then it, it it would have been the case that way back the progenitor species, I suppose the male progenitor that we were talking about before, mm-hmm. would have not the same um, constellation of traits as current day autistic savants in our species, but something that overlaps. That you know the Venn diagram would overlap to some extent, with what we see today. And those that had the profound disability kind would not reproduce as readily and wouldn't 
sure. and passed down their genes. And then those who helped the, uh, the, the, the group to survive through perhaps they have an amazing aim with a spear. They are technologically advanced like many of our uh, autistic folks are compared mm-hmm. to neurotypical people. And they mm-hmm. invented, you know, um, new ways to to uh, kill their, the game. Although they don't use tools, you know, hunting tools, it doesn't seem these days. So I don't know whether that would be the case, you know. Um, but just just the, the, the visual and mental and memory genius that we see in that we infer must be the case in current Sasquatch um, mm-hmm. population in order for them to do what they're doing and succeed so so sort of famously um, mm-hmm. must have been the genes that were that were conserved and if those are analogous to um, those that uh, are in our autistic savants then they would be the ones that got conserved and got sort of uh, refined and stabilized in their society such that it's pretty pervasive now. I mean, it may be that the one that climbed the apple tree right in front of me is sort of an outlier and not quite as keen or a little sure. slow. Might be, she might have been a little slow. I feel like she was a she, but I don't know. <laughs> so maybe there, are, maybe there are outliers that need to be protected by the the wisdom of the group, you know, and she mm-hmm. might have, she might never do that again. I might be sitting out there like an idiot for <laughs> the next five, five years, 55 times a, a, a summer yeah. and never have another chance, another chance, but she might come back, you know, next month. I don't know. And so, um, well, I mean, you have as good I a chance think- as anybody, it sounds like. So, you know, we'll hope that, uh, you get to make, some sort of face-to-face contact at some point. I mean, I, I was just going to say, I saw the uh, the woodpile video from uh, the first book that you you put the YouTube link into your book. And the video is, is I, I don't know, it just, it can't be anything else. It's just, you know, ducking and bobbing its head and stuff. And so you will pretty much are face-to-face. Yeah, I was face-to-face with her and I didn't know it. <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't see her till later when I looked at the footage. And if I had known it, darn, damn, I, I kicked myself all the time. I would have just walked right up to her and, and uh, gotten much better. But that was thermal. I, I like night vision better because it's uh, thermal. Some people are going to always be able to say that thermal is kind of uh, CGI kind of thing, and they can say that about night vision too. But I just find um, good generation three night vision to be more compelling uh, visually. But but anyway, yeah, I was, I was face-to-face with that one in Texas, and I was face-to-face with this one. I was seven feet away from this one. I don't know if there's any other footage out there that where the person's seven feet away. But, you know, I would like to put the porcupine crowd in their, in their place. <laughs> that would be nice. Sure. Some, of them were, some of them were very cruel. Yeah, th- there's a lot of venom. It, it's not just, I don't agree with what you saw. It's personal attacks all the time. And, and it's really sad. Like even because if they don't say it, they're implying, they're wink, wink, implying that you're they're somehow trying to pull one over on them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Venom is a good way to put it. They just got this venom in them. It, it's, it's sad. 
So Ryan is going on a float trip tomorrow, and I'm just bringing this up now so I don't forget. He's going to be basically in central Missouri on the Merrimack River. Do you know anything about anything going on down there? Who, me? Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. I, I don't know shit. I don't know shit about anything, but but my little mm. circle right here. Oh man, I thought maybe you had had a habituation site in Missouri or something. Missouri, no. And even if I did have one, I wouldn't be authorized to mm. say where it was and all that. But um, but I mean, I could if if there was one in Missouri, I I could contact the person see if it's okay and all that. But um, not Missouri. So you're saying it's, he's definitely going to get attacked. <laughs> That's right. So if you're saying there's a fence, goodbye. Well, I hope he gets to see one and he'll get off the fence a little bit. That's right. <laughs> sure. We were actually looking at the BF <clears throat> excuse me, the BFRO site before this. And there are reports in that area and quite a few of them mention that river. There are reports going back to seventy seven. Are you gonna camp there? That talk about no, I don't think we're camping. I think we're just doing it during the day, going out at 8 or 9 in the morning and coming back at night. Well, you're not likely to see anything that way. You need to camp out, preferably by yourself. That'll get your blood flowing, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> you know, it's uh, even even if you're lying, because you're lying there and you're saying, I'm I'm relaxed, I'm, I'm perfectly relaxed. Boy, did I, have I learned how to... Just blend with my environment. I'm I'm like the primal man, and then all of a sudden the deer will go, <gasps> and you freaking jump out of your skin. <laughs> and you realize you realize how tense you were that you just were fool you know fooling yourself. But it's fun. It's a it, it's an adrenaline rush, especially when a tree gets pushed down fifteen oh, feet I away bet. from you and you're lying out there. I bet. Do you think that's a sign of aggression? Do you think they're saying get out of here? I think sometimes they are, and sometimes they're just messing with you and, and saying, we're here, just like with the wood knocks. Mm-hmm. We're right here, but you can't see us, and you can't, you won't be able to get close to us. It's kind of like we're running out in front of a, a car in the road. It's, it's like this game of chicken mm-hmm. that probably gets their rocks off and, uh, and, and, and just kind of like re, reasserts. It's like an, an assertion of superiority and slash... A pranking, it's a flex slash <laughs> freaking you out and getting and seeing how you react. Because a lot of people will just run out of the forest when a tree gets pushed down next to them. I just, I my first thing I said was thank you. <laughs> well, if they really wanted to get you running, wouldn't do you any good. Wouldn't do me any good, but they would be laughing. <laughs> um, but uh, well, for viewers, listeners who didn't hear the beginning. Um, this stuff is, is contained in my documentary called How to See a Sasquatch, which I released last October. And I hope there'll be a How to See a Sasquatch, too, if I get, you know, any luck at this apple tree. I'm sitting there like some kind of worshiper at an empty church. Well, think about the, you know, wildlife photographers that when they go out to mm. find species, mm-hmm. they go out and camp for, you know, three or four months and maybe get a week of and get one one good shot yeah so no that's true that's a good point yeah you have to really be dedicated and that, and that's what i'm trying to do so i've sat out there for 21 nights so far 
and I'm going to do it through October. So that's a long time. So I'm hoping it'll be like 60, 70 times. Um, and we'll see if the same kind of undisciplined member of the group is allowed. She might have been taken down to the river and drowned after what happened. <laughs> she may be not. three times the size you saw her last time, too. I know. That's what I'm worried about. Hi, I'm back. <laughs> Heard you were putting videos up still about wanna, me. Still want to film me? Don't want to film me, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of reports of Sasquatch in Oklahoma. And yeah, that's another place I went in the, with the BFRO, southeastern Oklahoma, near Hanobia. It's spelled, but they pronounce it Hanabi. Huh. Well, you but mentioned. I, a, but anyway, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say you mentioned that, you know, we don't know uh, what types of tools, if any, that Sasquatch use. You would have to assume that they do. I mean, at least I would assume that they do, you know, use some sort of tools. And I've always wondered if they go noodling. I mean, that seems like that would be an easy catch for them to, and they've been spotted in rivers and lakes and stuff like that. If they just, are you familiar with noodling, Chris? No, I was wondering what the heck that word was. And okay. I was hoping it would become clear so that I was going to be caught out not knowing it. <laughs> no, no, no. It's uh, so. Um, Basically, what these crazy people do is they will go to a river or oh, a pond sticking or a their hand in a hole, right? Yes, that's come back. To yes, me. like it's like hillbilly hand fishing, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's what I would be doing if I was. I bet they do it. I mean, why wouldn't they? Saying. They have such thick skin and big, strong arms and, and hands. So I bet you they do that. They do anything they can. They're you know they've got to got to be omnivores. They take they take yeah. mussel shells and split them open and eat the contents. We find little. When I was on this, um, I was leading this BFRO expedition in uh, Whitehall, New York, a mecca of Sasquatch, and uh, we found tracks all over this all over the uh, riverbank, mm-hmm. and a, a neat little pile of either clam. I don't know if freshwater clams are a thing or not. I think there were mussel shells, um, a nice little pile of mussel shells right there by the footprints. Um, hmm. But um, you said something like a minute and a half ago that I w- wanted to link up with, and now I forget what it was. Uh, wrap, wrap your mind back to a minute and a half ago. What were you thinking? Oh, man, I live in the moment. A minute and a half ago is years <laughs> ago to me. Uh, that's like a year. That's right. <laughs> Oh, about worm about about noodling and how and how they how they eat and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, tools. Yeah, that reminded me that we got there. Um, sure. Structures that instead of we don't find tools, but we find intricate and beautiful structures, and it's like they're modeling the woods over into their own home, so that it, so that it's not just random woods like every other uniform looking woods all over the world or all over there environment but they make their own um particular formations that are that follow some very um very like a a finite number of basic forms you know they have the tp one they have they have um, parallel leaning sticks against against um uh, boulders or hillsides they have 
huge trees up inside other trees and there's no way they would get there. They, they have, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, um, tree bends with the far end pinned down by, by a rock or by another log and various others. Mm-hmm. And, and I really do, I think that it makes them, it, it's like a way of, of putting their signature on their immediate environment. And it's very much like what, oh, what autistic people, especially autistic children do, where they, they'll line up their toys, they'll make um, mm-hmm. circle formations out of their toys, they'll make other sorts of structures um, to, uh, to order, to, to bring order to the chaos that they feel, you know, to try to mitigate the chaos mm-hmm. or minimize it um, so that they are marking their territory and they're, they're contouring their world so that it's so that it's um, personal to them and not not just kind of um, anonymous and fright and frightening mm-hmm. and so that's another parallel there there was a fascinating study done you know you can track people's eye eye movements and they with um, with 18 month old children they compared um, those who were exhibiting autistic traits already and those who weren't. Mm-hmm. And they followed up to make sure the autistic-ish kids turned out to be autistic later so that they could, they could back verify that this was right. So, mm-hmm. And they, they tracked their, their eyes when they showed them videos of human beings doing stuff next to geometric shapes hmm. changing on the screen. And the, the, um, the neurotypical kids, their eyes were focused 90% of the time on the human beings. And as you'll already have guessed, <laughs> the, uh, the autistic kids would, would look at um, the geometric shapes instead. I think they just have a, a, a sort of a, a more um, aesthetic and structural worldview uh, and and that to me can be seen to translate into how Sasquatch everywhere you're going to see them or hear them at night you're going to find structures, structures that are not perfectly geometric of course, but many of them are are impressively uh, aesthetically pleasing, mm-hmm. and they use the materials at hand sticks and leaves and branches and stones and tree trunks to make art. You know, some some of the structures, no doubt, point you know point are, are territorial markers, or they point toward where the water is, or where the hunting is, or where this trail leads, or they they might have clan signature signature kinds of, of formations, but a lot of the time, I think it also is just self expression and just this thing of structuring their environment, mm-hmm. like like autistic people do too. And there's, there's many other parallels. There's this um, uh, trait called echolalia, where they'll repeat, autistic people often repeat back to you what you say. Mm-hmm. And then there's, and they'll, they'll mimic, they'll mimic characters in a movie, uh, they'll mimic people they know. And Sasquatch often mimic human voices too. And they'll repeat, you know, there's many, many cases that um, people have chronicled, uh, and I have some in my, my books where. A kid will be playing in the yard, and they hear their mom calling, mm-hmm. you know, Michelle from the woods, and they'll go running, <laughs> running in the woods. And the mom, of course, was already always back at the house, and so this kind of combines the Sasquatch kind of sense of humor 
pranking us, trying to see if they can get a rise out of to change our behavior, just messing with us, combines with the satisfaction of mimicking our voices, which is like echolalia in autistic people. There's a bunch. I have 12 parallels um, in in my my new book. Yeah, you guys are going to have to get the book to hear all the 12 parallels. Yeah, you can't possibly. It's so rich and profound, you can't possibly get any sense of it without uh, laying down your money. <laughs> Actually, I have uh, the... the um, the Kindle version is what I would recommend. I would make more money if you bought the paperback, but I would recommend you get the Kindle version because it's cheaper. It's like two ninety nine, and it has dozens and dozens of live links, so you can go right to the videos that I talk about the, that support what I'm talking about at any point, and the articles and the books. You can go right there. Um, you know, I put all these all these live links in it to make to make it um, more of a rich experience uh, to to uh, read the Kindle version. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah, you had uh, some of the links in the books, too. And if you do get the book, maybe you take a little hike out into the woods, set yourself up a hammock, little flashlight, read the book while you're listening for Bigfoot. You never know what could happen. Actually, it's funny you should say that, because when I go out to the apple tree, um, I take this little Kindle, this this old old style little kindle that's not very bright mm-hmm. and i'm reading all sorts of books while i'm sitting out there because the idea is another parallel with autism is that in general of course grossly exaggerating and grossly generalizing but they don't like it when you pay too much attention to them that it's sure. sort of like invading their their um space and all mm-hmm. that and their psychic space if not their physical space so it's better to kind of be distracted by something else and then they feel more free or more more latitude more emotional latitude to um come out of their shell or, mm-hmm. you know for want of a better term and so i'm trying to do that out by the apple tree i'm reading these really good books on my kindle and every now every 20 minutes or so i'll say hey you there you know or i'll go <laughs> Um, so that's funny you should mention that. Yeah, go out, read read this book on Kindle. And also, if you're interested in Sasquatch structures, I just can't help making one more shameless plug. I do have this book called um, <laughs> A Field Guide to Sasquatch Structures that has pen and ink drawings of uh, f- 50 different kinds of structures that you might come across out there. But yeah, go out. Find, out, find your own. And the thing is, you don't have, as we were saying at the very beginning, seven hours ago um <laughs> you don't have to uh you don't have to go out in the wilderness i've i've had these trees pushed down 15 feet from me in little micro forests um 100 yards from where i'm sitting right now in in a neighborhood you know and the forest is like maybe three acres mm-hmm. and it's it's pinched right pinched right between two different neighborhoods and a and a heavily trafficked road but you know at midnight, the night belongs to Michelob. Everybody, all the human <laughs> beings are asleep, and the the woods get uh, transformed into a, th- a theater of uh, the ancient ones. It's fascinating to realize that you can have these interactions so close to close to home. And the and as I said, where where I uh, encountered the apple tree climber and, and got that footage was very close to to uh, the road. You can hear traffic in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, during my uh, uh, in the audio of that of that footage, so don't 
don't shy away from exploring where you used to think it's too too close to civilization because it's not. Especially if you find, oh, here's my, I forgot to mention, here's my three steps, three simple steps. Go exploring and find possible Sasquatch structures and then leave an audio recorder or two out near those structures and then spend the time listening in real time. You can't just look at the uh, spectrogram and you have to listen in real time while you do something else. And if you hear wood knocks at 2.30 in the morning, the structures are, are probably Sasquatch structures, and this is part of their ter- part of their territory and part of their sort of the circuit that they that they travel. And so, step three: go out and sleep there. That's the scary one. Grit your teeth. <laughs> Grit your teeth. Woman up. Woman up. Man up. <laughs> Life is short. You want to you want to get your blood flowing. Yeah, but I don't want it to be much shorter. Um. I have a couple. Well, I know you, when I when I get scared, I do. I say, yeah, probably they won't kill you. But what if there's one with like a brain tumor you know, no. or a, or like emotional uh, emotional problems? You never know. But you you know either you stay stay home like like a, a doofus or you uh, push the envelope and have fun. I have two quick questions for you. First one. Have you ever found a kill like a deer or anything like that when when you've been out? And if so, did it seem odd? Like I, I hear a lot about spiral fractures in legs. A lot of people think that they will tackle the deer and then twist its legs and break them. Have you ever found anything like that out on any of your excursions? I've been very very poor on that front. I have not found any any kill sites like many people do, but many do find the front legs are broken. I think that they they coordinate their hunts. They probably that's where they use the wood knocks to kind of herd the the herd and they you know get the deer to cross through a choke point where they have a big guy there ambushing them. And because deer are really fast it makes sense to break their front legs. Absolutely. So people find piles of dead deer, uh, deer skeletons, or, or uh, you know, decomposing deer with their with their front legs broken. Um, so I think that is that is a method they use. But I, I I've always wanted to find a good kill. Thanks for bringing me down, man. Sorry. So <laughs> so my <laughs> final question: Do they bury their dead? I would assume so. You know, people say, why, do, why don't they, why don't we find their bodies lying around? And I say, why don't they find our bodies lying around? We, we take care of them. Yeah, that's one of my favorite comebacks. If they say, well, you know, if I'm talking to somebody and they'll say, well, why have they never found a body? And I'm like, how many times outside of a funeral home have you seen a dead person? <laughs> that's good. That's a good it's one. It's probably yeah. exceedingly rare. <laughs> lying on the street. <laughs> I mean, you do see that, but, but, um, but, you know, we only go in like these tiny little uh, straight lines and the vastness of the wilderness. Maybe the Sasquatch died by itself and there's a certain period of time before it's discovered by the group, but, you, you know, sure. you're not going to happen across it in that, that time. Um, I mean, that's, that, your answer is right up there with the one where people say that those who are studying bears professionally can be in the field for their whole career never come across a bear carcass Mm -hmm. 
because they go off to die and bears aren't going to bury each other. You know, bear, sure. they're dead. Yeah. And Sasquatch are smart enough to bury their dead. So it's much less of a chance that you'll find them. And in terms of fossils, people talk about that. Well, did you know, uh, this is one of my favorite comebacks, that <laughs> until 2006, we had never found a chimpanzee fossil in Africa. And then since then, we've only found teeth, nothing else. And chimpanzees, I think we can agree, exist. Yes. So it's the, it's the kind of, you know, and chimpanzees are in forests, and the kind of acidic soil and moisture that you have in forests is not, is not conducive to fossilization. And an interesting kind of thought that I heard is that the various types of, of um, hairy wild humans that people see across the world might not be the same species. There might be several little bush of different species, a branching, branching bush of different species, and they're the ones who took to the forests mm-hmm. when our civilization was starting to create uh, towns and, and city-states and all that. They took to the forest, and what's the, what's the place where you're not going to form fossils? The forest. So they're naturally they're not in our collections. Sure. Our fossil collection. Uh, do you have any final thoughts, Ryan? Final questions or anything? Not really. Um, I am considering maybe a camping trip by the Merrimack after reading some of these encounters and leaving out some audio recorders to see what's what. Oh, do it. It's so much fun to listen to audio. I almost wonder if maybe people miss some of these encounters because we're so focused on... I don't know. I, I know some people who are really into hiking and nature... Or so they say, and they go out with like, uh, you know, like a Garmin watch that tracks where they go. They've got their phone and they've got these like guides and maps and there's all this, you know, these accoutrements that go along with it. And I kind of wonder if maybe some of the folks who would otherwise be exposed to Bigfoot or, you know, whatever you want to call it, don't see them because they're so focused on what they're doing. They're so focused on their devices and their route and their heart rate and their whatever else you know i, I, I like <laughs> yeah. your idea of just reading a book not you know just read a book every few minutes take a break yeah you know? well when i would when i would camp out solo i wouldn't even read a book this, this is the doing that now for the see if the autism thing works of being distracted and not paying too much attention but when i would for years when i would just camp out there i would lie there in the dark no no um no flashlight use no campfire just lie there in the dark. I would put out the recorders around me, um, and then I wouldn't, you know, have any reason to use the camera because it it's pitch dark. I would just lie there and and uh, hear the owls and hear everything. It, it, all the sounds are cool and, and make you feel like you're living a quality life out there. And then when the tree gets pushed down, you're just so stoked. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I hope you do that, Ryan. Yeah, I, let me know. I'm going to hold you to it because <laughs> I know exactly where to go. So, well, I I think I know exactly where to go. I know a great place to start. How about that? <laughs> okay, yeah, good starting point. That's the best we can find. <laughs> On that river, it, it's going to be by that river. Yeah, yeah. There's a uh, oh, yeah. an encounter that happened a couple years ago where a wildlife biologist was at this place and. He said that he heard sounds that were not supposed to be in the Missouri forest, 
and he heard bipedal footsteps around his campsite. He had at one point when he was walking out, he was being, I guess, escorted where this whatever it was, was maybe 20 yards off into the woods. He couldn't see it, of course, but he could hear the footsteps following him all the way out. And this is real close to a couple other reports that are on the uh, BFRO website. So I'm going to get him out there. Well, Ryan, you might, you might want to take a friend the first couple of times because it is kind of, it, it wigs you, it really wigs you out to be that vulnerable. Yeah, um, that's probably a good idea. So it might, it, it might allow you to do it emotionally for, you know, until you build up a, more of a... <laughs> Kind of a tolerance comfort for comfort level, yeah. Especially after hearing that that little story. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, now you're held to it. So it's recorded. Yeah. We've got a witness. We're going. I'll pick the date. <laughs> we've got we've got a hundred and fifty thousand witnesses for all the listeners who you have. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it has been a blast. I, I know you've probably got to get going. We've got to get going here. Before we let you go, tell us one more time, give us websites, anything, anywhere that our listeners can find you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Well, you're very kind. Thank you. Hmm. My website that I forgot to mention, and I appreciate that, is um, thenearnessofyou.net. And my YouTube channel is Impossible Visits. Easy to remember both of them. (laughs) And of course, they'll be in the notes too, but... Yeah, so you killed it. This was fun. Yeah, well, I hope so. I, 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 I enjoyed myself. So if you ever do a uh, BFRO thing here in Missouri, let us know. We're in. Right, Ryan? Yeah, that's kind of what I think I was getting more That'd towards. be fun. I've, 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 I went on a lot as a participant, and then I, I, uh, I was the leader of a bunch of them and I kind of kind of got my fill because I now know that the best way to interact is to find a place like I've been lucky enough to find right here mm-hmm. and do that and, and when you're leading these things it's, it's kind of like a lot of pressure because people paid money some of them and yeah, you have to give them their money's worth and you can't control what experience they're going to have so it's sure. anyway but I appreciate that you should come to Vermont. We'll go out together. That's all we've got for you tonight on Cryptique. Please like, subscribe, follow, and tell a friend. And don't forget to listen to Movie Howl and Exploring Evil on your favorite podcast platform and have pleasant dreams and good evening. No, that's terrible. Yeah, that's right. Saying have pleasant dreams is not me. I'm not, I'm not a nice person. Happy nightmares, mofo. I'm like, yeah, it's not, it's not me. Have whatever dreams you're gonna have. <laughs>